Welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. We are live today at Toronto Fashion Week in Yorkville Village. Yay, live at Yorkville Village. There they are. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. And as a lover of film and TV, I am so excited for our discussion today because we're going to get some insider information and insight into the process of costume design. And I'm joined today by three amazing and accomplished Canadian costume designers. Uh, here we have uh, president of CAFCAD, Alex Cavanaugh. She's a well-known costume designer for film. Oh, yes, applause. <laughs> applause. Having worked on The Vow, Spice, A Splice, pardon me, Saw 2, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Uh, television, she is often a costume supervisor on large productions like Suicide Squad. Very fancy. Um, she is a graduate of the prestigious costume studies program at Dalhousie University. And her costume career highlight was getting to collaborate with Giorgio Armani on the lead costumes for the indie film Camille. That would be very cool. Next, we have uh, Christine Toy. She's the three-time, yep, applause for sure. She's the three-time nominated, two-time de uh, daytime Emmy award-winning costume designer. She started her career in theater in 2005 and then moved to design for children's programming in 2012, including the incredibly popular Odd Squad. Thanks so much for being here, Christine. And we have Leslie Cavanaugh, who's been working in film and television for nearly 20 years. Over the course of her career, she has worked her way from being a wardrobe assistant, costume truck supervisor, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle being one example, set supervisor, and now uh, works as assistant costume designer and lead costume designer on a variety of productions, including Man Seeking Women Seasons 1 and 2, Seven in Heaven, Mother's Day, and co-costume designer on Rain Season 2. And she's also the costume designer for The Lie, which is a feature premiering in just a few days at TIFF. Congratulations. <laughs> So we're very, very lucky to have um, three such accomplished women here with us today, especially because TIFF is around the corner, so I'm sure between being on set and then commitments with the festival, we're very, very happy to have you here. Um, how do you begin the process of costume design? Alex, I'm going to start with you. When you are thinking, when, you, when you've gotten a job, what's, one of the, what's the process? How do you jump into the process? Well, the very first thing you have to do is, is really get to know the script. So it, it's reading it and rereading it and really examining what happens in the script, what happens to the characters. Because our job as costume designers is being visual storytellers. So we are adding uh, an element to the story through what the actors are wearing to help them inhabit their character and also to help tell the story of what happens to them. So sometimes we're revealing something about their past through what they're wearing, or sometimes we're hiding something and making them look suspicious, or, you know, in The Vow, the character that Rachel McAdams was playing was a sort of an artsy-fartsy uh, sculptor, but her previous life, she'd been quite preppy, and when she gets amnesia, we had to sort of show that she didn't know how to wear the clothes that were in her closet, because she doesn't remember that part of her life. So. It was hard to have these yeah. ugly outfits because you don't want that, but it's part of the storytelling to say she's looking at this closet full of clothes and she doesn't know how to put them together because it's nothing that she would wear from her memory 
of herself five years ago. Right, and Christine, working with the Odd Squad, you're working with the same characters over and over and over again. Does that impact you know, what Alex is talking about in terms of getting to know the script? When you know the characters a little deeper, does that make the job different or easier or harder? Well, with Odd Squad, if the character wasn't described fully in the script, then I make up a backstory through the clothes. So the main characters, they have... Sorry? Into your mic. Am I not? Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, so with the main characters, that, that's... I'm told where these characters were specifically and with a specific um, costume that I have to fulfill for the script. So it's a little bit... I don't tell as much. I sort of throw it all out there in the clothes. Leslie, I saw you nodding a little bit, especially when Christine was talking about um, the backstory. Can you tell us a little bit what that means to have a backstory for the character, for those of us who don't work in the industry? I personally love to make up all my own backstories for each of my characters. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. <laughs> because the thing, there's a very big difference between uh, doing a feature film and doing television. Uh, because for television, you have to have a big arc of a character in a closet usually that because they're going to continually co come forth in every episode or every few episodes, whoever the character may be. And in a feature film, you just follow a few characters um, in a different way. Like their story, you still have to give different costume looks and tell stories and have a lot of visuals that help to, as Alex said, we are visual storytellers to help, you know, achieve the director's vision. It's just with television, it's a lot more changes usually in a day, a script day, and it really does depend on the story. But in Rain, for example, even though it was 17th century where people didn't have money, our characters always looked really good, um, <laughs> very fancy. And so you're just constantly pumping costumes out. And so when you're getting these new characters introduced in a television series, they might be there for one script, they might be there for two scenes, they might be there for five, you know, like scripts. It doesn't, you don't know. So creating something for myself of, well, where do I think this guy came from or this girl helps me to sort of build their look. Very cool. I get the, the when you were talking about Rain, I was envisioning the, like, beautiful, ugly. Like, something is, and you were, like, when you were talking about with Val, like, you want something to look maybe a bit gnarly, but it still needs to be appealing to look at on the screen. So that must be kind of a push-pull of, that must be part of the challenge is sometimes making sure it's beautiful on the screen, even if, even if it's supposed to be a unpleasant look, per se. Well, and you're, on the screen it looks different than when you're looking at it in person, too. So you have to keep that in mind. Screen tests, anything that, to really propel the story forward with what you're putting together with the costume. Totally. Through the camera, things look so different. So we're lucky to have some examples from all of your work. And Alex, I'm going to start with you. Um, what is this that we're looking at here on the screen? This is what we call a mood board or an inspiration board. Um, and I have a costume on display in our exhibit out there that is from the movie called Repo, the Genetic Opera. And the character is uh, Sarah Brightman, who plays Blind Mag. And it's a futuristic horror rock opera. So it's not a... a futuristic <laughs> horror rock opera. I love it. <laughs> it's something that is not an everyday kind of show. Yeah. And it was very stylized. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, what you do is you start out by, after you've 
kind of got an idea of the script, you start looking research-wise at magazines or sometimes books, sometimes online. Um, some people are inspired by architecture. Some people are inspired by looking at pictures of minerals and just about the colors. And um, I was going for a more haute couture kind of vibe with a you know, Walmart budget. <laughs> and um, it was kind of exciting because Sarah Brightman is an internationally renowned opera singer. And yeah. she actually goes to all the fashion shows. She knows all the designers. Oh, and that's cool. I always think of her as Christine in Phantom of the Opera. Well, she originated that role. Yeah. But, uh, and she was quite young when she did that. And I, she said, I, you know, people think I'm an opera singer and I'm stuffy, but I actually really love fashion. So, you know, this is a way to help um, show your uh, thoughts um, before you start sketching uh, to the director, to the actors, and just drawing on inspiration for texture, for color, for silhouette, and um, to know that you're all on the same page. And then something like Repo, we had such little prep time, like literally the sketch for the costume was a doodle on the back of a script page, and I handed that off to my uh, my cutter and she made it into a reality, but it was really about choosing the fabric and the line and the this costume is one of her most plain costumes, but she's supposed to be incognito and we but we still wanted it to be very um, mysterious and, and otherworldly. Amazing. And then as a question I have about this is because Sarah was such a a fan of fashion herself. Was she part of the process? Like, was she involved in the costume design or have input? Or does the, does the talent often have input? Or is it like, this is my world? That's a great Back question. Off. Because is, there's definitely actors have different expectations of how much they're going to collaborate. Some people just want to show up and, and you have stuff ready for them. And some people want to actually be a part of the process of deciding on, you know, especially people who have either a very sort of intimate connection to the character or people who have a very specific personal brand on their look. So in the same movie was Sarah, um, Paris Hilton. So that was a you know a very different process, but Sarah was very collaborative and actually pushed me to go further than I would you know normally go with somebody who you know is of her stature of being you know a very sort of well-known opera singer and she was really you know we had her in these little tiny body suits and you know like uh, streetwalker boots and you know it was very she was really willing to go there and. Um, it was very exciting, and actually, I think as a designer, it was something that took me further in the process, um, having someone encourage uh, and, and be willing to um, sort of go out on a limb fashion-wise. That's very cool. And then a very different example of your work is the, uh, for Miss Universe pageant 2014, our, our Miss Canada. Now, can you tell us, what were your directions for this, like, quite whimsical hockey creation we have going on here. It's funny because um, Chanel Beck and Lehner was uh, Miss Canada, uh, Miss Universe Canada 2014, and she was going to Miss Universe pageant and really wanted to compete. And she was looking for someone to help make her national costume. She had been Miss World Canada before and had competed on the stage and had done sort of a, a sexy Mountie vibe. And she wanted something that was more elaborate because she saw the people who had the biggest, most elaborate costumes were getting the most attention. 
Right. And so she reached out to CapCAD. So the depth of field, right? Like yeah. being able to see it from far away versus close up versus through the lens of the camera versus in person. And in the end, it is a stage production. You know, it's a very big space that they're walking through. And I'm having theater training. You understand that when you're on the stage, things need to be a bit bigger. They need to be bolder. And um, she wanted a light element. You know, the year before, I think Miss, Univer uh, Miss Universe USA had had like dressed like a transformer or something and had like lights in her helmet and had gotten a lot of press from it. So right. she wanted lights in it and she wanted it to be big like you see all the sort of Caravana style costumes. And some of the South American countries and uh, uh, Central American countries are so good at those feathery, you know, costumes mm. that are, are very much um, carnival style. It's hard to compete with that if you're not an expert in it. So I propose doing something very different and say, like, go totally Canadian, let's go hockey. And, you know, we can still have it in that same uh, grandeur. In that, like, the, spectacle. Know, exactly, but go, go Canadian, eh? Canadian A. And was the process like, was the process the same in terms of you still built a mood board? You still, you know, went through that research of just, you know, what's going to inspire me? Where can I pull color, texture, design from? Uh, for sure. And we had a lot of conversations before we landed it's on like hockey. It's like Marie Antoinette yeah. meets the NHL, right? Exactly. And, you know, we, 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 you know, I had a bunch of different concepts. And so this is, you know, started out me thinking of the panniers as a, as a way to get that hockey rink into a costume. And originally I had the, the rink on the front, but she said, you know, I really want you know, to make it that I, you can see my legs and that I you know, may be a bit more of a Victoria's Secret vibe. So then that's where the net came in and it's like, oh, that's cool. So that's a 360 costume. Um, and my husband is special effects coordinator and was able to help with the, the scoreboard. With which the is, scoreboard headdress? Yeah, it lights up, yeah. And so it actually does count down. And th that is what I had the most comments about of all this, this. Okay, let's just face it. This is a crazy costume. And uh, the most comments were not on that she's wearing a little Stanley Cup hat on a wig. You oh, know, like yeah, a, look at that. Um, or that she's got thigh-high hockey boots on. It's that the score says home 20 and guest 14. It really offended all the men because hockey scores don't usually get oh, that high. Oh, because they don't go that high. It's not basketball. Yeah. Right. And Details. It's just because, guys, it's because she's Miss Canada 2014. Like, come on. It's oh. not, it's not, uh, what would the score be, really, for something like this? It is, uh, it's a costume. It's all in the details. But the, that they could only fixate on that. What is it? <laughs> Football? Yeah. Basketball? Yeah, so. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, Christina, I'm going to move over to your, your work at Odd Squad. Can you tell us a little bit about what we're looking at here? Because something Alex mentioned, which I'm sensing you'll be able to speak to, is the notion of, like she mentioned, the cutters. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's not just one costume designer in a room creating all these things. There's a team of yeah. people. What, if we were on the set of Odd Squad, what would we see as you're creating the costumes? Craziness. Uh, well, yeah, so here we have, uh, this is the block that we were working on so uh, to coordinate where the fur was going to go. So my incredible cutter, Alicia Zvisvich, she's got 25 years on me, so I trust her when it comes to cutting, taking my very flat drawing and creating the, the color gradation in the fur. So she takes my sketch and then puts it on paper 
uh, with the measurements according to the actor. And do you start with the sketch generally? I start with a mood board as well. Thank God for Pinterest. <laughs> and then I, I usually narrow it down to three particular inspirations, just so that you can't really tell where those inspirations are kind of coming from. Or if you've got a keen eye, you can pick it out. But I like to have three. In this particular, this was, we, sh we made Odd Todd's suit first, here. which yeah, is this here. So that's the gradation of the color. So that is actually an agent suit, because he used to be an agent, and then became a villain. So I sort of, with the color, was showing that he's gone crazy. He's, he's lost his mind, and that's what it looks like in fabric. And so, you had mentioned you pulled on couture a lot when you were working on a lot of these things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, in this particular costume, I didn't. Oh, well, <laughs> but there are other ones in the exhibit, But for other sure. ones in the exhibit, yes. So this one, actually, my mother's a quilter, so she's always sending me pictures of quilts. She sent me one where it was white into the color, and I thought, that's, I have to do that. So with a very talented CAFCAD member, Anna-Claude Biron, is that, yeah? Mm -hmm. She actually put together all of the quilted pieces, and then we then quilted it onto the suit and then constructed the suit. Is it, and this might be a silly question, but is it different when you're designing for kids? Like, in terms of, like, they can grow an inch, you know, over a month, and, you know, do they wear the clothes differently, or is I'm not it... gonna lie, I always forget they grow. Yeah. <laughs> always. So for this particular one, we had to re-quilt and add, he grew obviously up, so hem, cuff, and a little bit in the waist. So we had to take it apart, put more quilted fabric in, and then hem it again. So do you have like basically your own atelier per se at Odd Squad where like everything is being constructed on set or what's your environment like? Yes, I have a, sh I have a shop. I had uh, at this particular moment, I only had one cutter and one full-time stitcher and I'd get in there too and do some things. Like his tie, we just use snot tape, which is basically the sticky side of tape. And it looks like snot. Which like, works I'm pretty well sure for kids. I heard her correctly say yes. snot tape. Okay, <laughs> snot tape. We call it snot tape. Yeah. Uh, so that that's one hidden under there is a tie full of snot tape. Are there are there hidden secrets in terms of construction that as a viewer we don't see when you're putting things together? Yeah, he's not wearing a real shirt. That's just a dicky. So that's just a, a front because, again, the quilting took so long, we only wanted to do just what was visible. So under there, he's wearing suspenders and a T-shirt. Well, it would help with comfort in the lights of oh, being sure. on set and stuff like that as well, right? And Leslie, you've been... We have some photos from The Lie. Because um, for this production that, you, that you've worked on, you weren't needing to create the garments from scratch in the sense that you had, a, you had like a, sh a, a shop and an atelier and you needed sewers and cutters. What's the process like when you're pulling from existing pieces to create a costume? Um, this particular movie was, it's contemporary, and uh, the amazing director, Vina Sud, who um, was also one of the producers and the writer on this, her and I, when we um, originally spoke, was about, it's a, it's a psychological thrillery thing, this movie. So um, the characters had to be believable is what she wanted. So we, we had to just make it, um, the mother and father are divorced and the daughter lives with the mother. And it's, uh, it's a, how to convey that story of 
what's happened there. Again, going back to the backstory of how they split up. It's never said in the movie, but there was discussions about why they would have split up, why his look is his look, and why the mother's look is her look, and how the daughter fits in in between, because um, her goal is she wants to get her parents back together. And um, it's trying to just go out and find... like we. The challenges I f found on this one was because we were filming in winter last year, and I don't know if any of you were outside in that, but it was really hurtful <laughs> and, um, on a daily basis. And so we had to have stuff that they, we didn't want to cover everything. So making stuff, you know, they did wear some parkas, but how to keep them open and layered underneath. But it's just going out to the stores, finding what the character is. I, I was really lucky. Um, our three leads, Joey King, who played the daughter, uh, Peter Sarsgaard, who was the father, and Mireille Yunos, who played the mom. We had a great collaboration, all of us, and then as a group. Like, I had an individual collaboration with all of them, and then we were able to sit down together and just say, you know, bring it all together so it would look like a believable family unit, which was really important to convey the, the story. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with the process, where do you get the clothes? Like, do you go out and do you have to buy them? Do you have relationships with places so that you can borrow them? And, and where, do, where do the clothes go when you're done? Yes, the, we go to the malls. Just you go shopping anywhere that you find the inspiration. Like, I'm not... Well, it's, go, it's totally fun to go shop totally high-end. I will shop any end to get the look that I want and mix and match pieces or, you know... I don't... This was not an example of a movie where we took clothes apart and built something new, but we can. Like, you can cut sleeves off or, you know, mix and match that way, do things like that. This was just going to the malls and shopping at all the different stores. The answer is, yeah, in costume design, fashion, theater, everyone will develop relationships with merchants, vendors, etc. And people will help you out if you have good relationships or if you have really high-profile cast. <laughs> they'll give Always you helpful, things. a little star power. <laughs> yeah, they'll give you things. Um, Alex and I have worked on quite a few shows together and uh, some of the bigger Hollywood stuff or The Vow, or um, sorry, uh, Camille with Sienna Miller. Mm -hmm. While I didn't get to go meet Giorgio Armani, I felt I was there in spirit. <laughs> um, it's like things like that Well, people will come step up to the plate depending on the, the actor's relationship with those uh, people as well. Something I'd like all of you to chime in on is when I saw these stills from The Lie and, and realized it was Venus said, I, autom like, I could see the same kind of aesthetic as she did in The Killing. So I totally fangirled a little bit, so I'm so and excited all the about that. Um, and I think that, you know, directors can have a bit of a signature, like they can have a bit of a look, like Wes Anderson has a very distinct look. When you're working with a director that has that kind of signature, is it challenging as the costume designer to try and weave within their vision or does it become collaborative? And do costume designers, like, do you have a signature as well that, like, maybe we as, 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 the, as the viewer don't see, but people who've worked with you before will look and say, I know that's Alex because she incorporated an awesome X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is you true. Start with that, so, Alex? Yeah, I'm going to jump right in here because I have had that experience of the director who has a very specific um, look to their work. Uh, they can be great to work with if they are decisive and say, yes, that's what I want. Um, it's, it's difficult when you've got somebody who knows what they want, but they can't express it. That is very painful uh, as a costume designer. However, that is your job, is to get that out of them. And that's what we do with the mood boards and sketches. And sometimes even 
you'll have to bring in a stand-in and put some costumes together and take some pictures and say, is this it? Do you like this? Before you even get into it with the, with the actors. And it is a communication process because as costumers, we have a very visual um, type of communication process. Mm -hmm. Directors, sometimes if they're like a, an actor-based uh, director and they, they're really all about the dialogue and the, about the emotion, they know what they don't want, but they don't know what they want visually. So it can be very, uh, it, um, it can take a lot of effort to get that conversation happening. But once you get there, it's great because you you start having that back and forth. And, and once we start doing the fittings with the actors and, and bringing the actual actors in the costumes uh, for them to see, then they can say, okay, well, you know, that's pretty good. Can we do it in a different color? Or, you know, I'm not feeling this. I really pictured him, you know, more casual or whatever. So the, those conversations, and it, it is a process because the actor is also involved. Um, sometimes, you know, an, a director doesn't care. They hired you because they like the, your book and they just are happy with you and uh, to bring them what they want. And they'll choose what their favorites are from the fittings. You can say, oh, well, I usually give a few options. But some shows are very stylized, and it's actually scripted what people are going to wear. Christine, I could see you nodding there. And I mean, working on the Odd Squad for several seasons, have you developed a signature and a shorthand in terms of your yes. work on a TV we show? Yes, we used to uh, Aaron Sorkin walk and talk. So we would walk from one end of the studio to the other, and by the time I got to back to my shop, we had decided on what we were going for for a particular character. But I have to say that I was really blessed on Odd Squad. They, they let me go crazy on most of the villains. When it came to the suits, originally I did have to pull a bunch of things. I had to put two kids in various suiting colors, all that sort of stuff. And then we ended up with the suit that we went with for all of the agents after I went to Value Village and sort of cut up a suit and put masking tape here and there for where I would put highlights of color. So that's how that came about. But from then, I was allowed to go to town. It must be um, very liberating and very efficient to have that, to have that kind of Absolutely. environment. Because I, you know, and maybe you guys could share a little bit about what the time limitations are sometimes when you're working on a, on a feature or a TV show. It's not like you have days and days to ponder and create and experiment. Yeah, I, I would always have a week from concept to completion, right? From Talking about it in the script initially to it being on camera was about a week at most. I think your show right now that you're on is even less than that. Mm. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm currently shooting a uh, TV series for Netflix uh, called V Wars. It's based on a graphic novel uh, starring Ian Summerhalder. And um, it's very challenging. I just came, I was on location for the past two months up north. and. Uh, it's very challenging. Uh, TV is very fast, fast, fast. Like even with rain, it's another example. Like Odd Squad, like you're booting out gowns upon gowns, doublets upon. Like the doublets were the men's uh, jackets that they wear back in the day. They're called doublets, and it's like, you know, we're embroidering with all kinds of trims, buttons, buckles, uh, sashes. Uh, you know, you name it, we had it going on. And it's the same even now on this TV series. It's contemporary but it's just so fast-paced, it's crazy. And feature films, you actually do get days and days to ponder um, because they give you uh, the prep time for a TV show or a movie, and it all is depending on what it is. You can have weeks and months 
to get that going and get your ideas and shopping and sourcing and bringing stuff back. Like with, that's what happened on the lie with Vina. I was able to have lots of time to go out and buy stuff and come back even before I had the actors to show her colors, textures, fabrics, movement, like things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, yes, I like this or that's going to be too bright or also just being able to be a part of the process with a director of photography. How is he going to shoot this? What lenses? What color gels? What, you know, there's different things like that that go into it. So knowing that Vina does shoot a little bit darker and a little more gray palette. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to have hits of color in there to, you know, strategically play for important moments. So we played with that. Do you see the actors come into character when they get into costume? Like, I'm wondering if you can all share a little bit about experiencing a character coming to life when the when the actor puts on their costume. Because there's so much that you've, you've shared that goes into the choices to, you know, having the garment actually hanging on the rack and saying, now it's ready to put on. What happens when the actor puts the costume on? Leslie, let's start with you. Well, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, I mean, I'm really lucky, for example, on the show I'm working on now, it's um, V Wars, the V stands for vampires. Um, and uh, our lead vampire is not who you think it is. is um, so putting, putting uh, costumes on like characters of that, and Ian's character is not a vampire in this, he plays a scientist. And so trying to really get away, he played a vampire on a television series called Vampire Diaries for, I think, 1,000 years. And uh, he's Being very a vampire, well known. it would be 1,000 yeah, years. He's, yeah, he's very well known for that role. And so we really wanted to make sure to capture him in a very different light. And so we did um, a couple of fittings with him and really just talked about that character and just trying to find like what's going to make him feel that character. And so from the first fitting to when we finally got the costumes right, it's like how he was feeling. He puts a different piece on. He's like, yeah, I love this. Or no, I don't think this is good. Like this is not going to work for him because... And, you're working through that. So I guess on this show, it was pretty great. They, all the characters, as we started fine-tuning it and layering or delayering and adding things, they've certainly really come into their own. And it does show when they go to camera. They feel that part when they're on the screen. And the way I like to work my process is basically, we're going to work it all out here in these fittings. And then when you go to camera, your costume is the last thing you think about. You're now hitting your marks. You're doing your lines. You're listening to the director. That's how I personally like to work it. I, you know, I try to stay a little more hands off on once they're on set and everyone's approved the look and all the little final finessing is done. I try to just sort of step back and then let them work their magic. Christine, I saw you nodding. Are you resonating with what Leslie's saying? Well, because I'm the opposite. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Do you share? So one of the costumes on display is Noisemaker. So he's got the keyboard tie front. I actually watched that actor get into character kind of behind a pole one day when we were shooting. He started sort of playing the keyboard and getting into this character. And he actually had said to me, he auditioned with a straight voice, just him. And then when he put the costume on, all of a sudden it was this Austrian sort of German accent that he pulled out. And then he had to keep it through the whole <laughs> series because he, he, we had one little moment that we shot with him initially and he was just supposed to be gone. That character was never supposed to come back. But they loved the costume and it existed, so they kept writing him into scripts. That's so cool. He's like the Fonzie of Odd Squad. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Alex, what about you? When do you have you seen characters come to life before your eyes as a result of costume? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, 
when you're creating a character, especially when somebody's out of their comfort zone, um, I remember the first time really experiencing it was on um, a Showtime movie I did called uh, The Happy Face Murders. And Anne Margaret, uh, you know, of uh, Elvis Presley fame, um, was playing this sort of older, uh, overweight, out of shape lady um, who ends up getting involved in this criminal investigation because she's trying to get rid of her boyfriend. It, it, she has nothing to do with the crime, but it's a, a serial killer. But she blames her boyfriend so that he will get arrested and get out of her house. And, you know, I don't know, Anne Margaret is still very glamorous and beautiful and in great shape. Um, so, you know, they were talking about doing body padding and making her um, look overweight, and she didn't want to wear that. So it was really about, you know, like finding those really ugly um, matching sweatsuits that they used to always have at uh, Kmart, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, getting those pieces together of stuff that would just be generally unflattering and put them on her, and she's... She's putting the costumes on, and, and she's like, you know, Alex, this is great. I really feel like her. I, I can't look in the mirror, <laughs> but, but I'm feeling the character, and it was great. And we got her, like, these weird, ugly 80s glasses, and it just, and she wore this nasty wig, and, she, you know, it was one of those things that you really see a transformation. And sometimes it can be much more subtle, like when an actor who's never had a suit that fits because they have a different size body and you actually have done something custom or you found the right brand that fits them, they're like, wow, I, I look good in this suit. It's like, yes, you do. And um, they're like, well, I've never had one that fits before. And it's, there's a huge confidence that comes to a man when he's got something, a suit that fits him if he's always felt like he's playing dress up in suits and never had one that yeah. fits properly. Yeah. Christine, what would you like people to know or keep in mind the next time they're watching a TV show or a feature film about costume? What would you like us to be more tuned to or to remember? Well, the costume's also telling the story. Their words, the performance, it's all it all goes together hand in hand, but maybe I'm biased cuz I'm a costume designer, but I think the costumes are the most they tell the story the most. What about you, Leslie? There's just so much more that goes into costume design than just seeing the final product. Uh, it goes back to the cutting, the stitching, breakdown, uh, the fittings, the comfort items. Like when you see people, for example, you know, there's a lot to make certain people look comfortable outside in subarctic temperatures <laughs> and believable. And there's just our department, the costume department as a whole, we provide so much more than just clothes. And I think that people don't always understand when you're watching a movie. If you watch a good war movie, for example, Saving Private Ryan is a, one of my favorite movies, so I'll just reference that. But uh, it's like all those clothes didn't get dirty on their own. So someone's doing that to make them dirty or a horror movie or an action movie, bloody. And then you have to remember if the, if the character's wearing that costume for a long duration, there's not just one costume because they have to get laundered and cleaned and it's hot out or it's cold out. And so there's many of those costumes that all have to look exactly the same. So there's a real art form uh, into the art of destruction of a costume. And just, as I say, the costume department overall, there's just so many moving parts and so many people within a department that don't get, like, don't get to sit on this panel, you know, that do all the small things that I can't have my look and my show and if I don't have this you know, network of people behind me that help me every day. Amazing, it takes a village, right? 
Alex, as the president of CAFCAD, can you tell us a little bit about what CAFCAD is and what it does as an organization? Because you're all CAFCAD members. Yes, yes. So CAFCAD um, is the Canadian Alliance of Film and Television Costume Arts and Design. It took us a long time to sign on that long-winded name, but it says everything in it. You know, um, in uh, general, there are schools for fashion, there's schools for theater, but there really isn't very much resource-wise for costuming for film and television, which pulls from elements of fashion, pulls from techniques from theater, but it is its own thing. And um, you know, in Toronto, we have uh, two different technical unions that represent costumers, as well as a, non a thriving non-union market. And so a bunch of us who all knew each other got together and said, hey, let's, let's start uh, an association that's nonpartisan, that has nothing to do with the unions or, your, your, or being in one, and, um, and just sort of help create a, a group that will promote and celebrate what we do and you know, a gang to network and resource amongst ourselves. And Amazing. So Kavanaugh people, has no people year, are listening, the they yeah. can go to C-A-F-T-C-A-D, CAFCAD.com. And Alex, if they'd like to follow you and find out more about your work, what's your social handle? Um, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter as at, um, at CostumeAlex. And what about you, Christine? I'm on Instagram. I have a Twitter, but I only check that for news, so I don't <laughs> post. Uh, Instagram is at Christine Toy. And Leslie? I'm pretty... Um, social media illiterate. I do have this Instagram going at L it's LK Costumes. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. This has been so interesting. And I, I remember when um, I was talking with a costume designer once who worked with a, a director who described costume as being more important than even the set, because the closer the camera comes, the more of the costume you see. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you, everyone, for being here. You can follow Fashion Talks at Fashion, Fashion Talks Pod. Um, we love hearing from listeners and hearing what people have to say for show ideas. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. A big thank you to CAFA, our producing partner. You can find out more about the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards at CAFA Awards. That's C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. Thank you very much to Toronto Fashion Week for hosting us. And until next time, I'm Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks. And now we're going to open it up for some questions. Are there any questions from people in the audience? Okay, I have one. Um, do you guys have backgrounds in fashion? I actually went to costume school for theater. Okay. Um, I went to the theater studies program. I, as a child, I wanted to be a fashion designer from the time I was like nine years old. And I thought I would do fashion school, but I, was, I actually discovered costume school and I was always influenced by historical fashion. So I thought it was still gonna be a means to fashion and then discovered uh, costume as a very viable career. What about you, Christine? I have no credentials. <laughs> I'm technical theater. I wanted to be a sound engineer or a lighting designer. I fell into costumes. I feel like it chose me. But my mother taught me to sew as a kid, so it was just something that I like, knew, knowledge, and you learn on the job. So I just employ a lot of really experienced people who teach me as well. Amazing. And Leslie, I saw you shaking your head. No. <laughs> I had no aspirations to be here uh, <laughs> at all.
Uh, I went to theater school, but I, was a, I had chosen the acting program. And um, the, I went to theater school in Newfoundland. And the theater school there, their program, you have to, if you're in the acting program, you must take a semester of stagecraft, which is all the technical side. And if you're in stagecraft, you must take a semester of acting so that you can understand both roles. And I, for anyone that hasn't maybe figured this out, Alex is actually my sister. And um, she was already working in film and television here in Toronto when I was going to school. And I just remember um, we were doing this theater production and uh, like she can do it, like she can seriously sew circles around anybody and I couldn't even thread a needle. So it was kind of hilarious that I got put on sewing detail on this production. <laughs> and so I just remember phoning her like super excited, like, oh my God, I sewed a button today. <laughs> and my sister's just kind of like, wow, like that's, that's great, <laughs> you know, a button, good for you. Uh, but that's, and so then I sort of dabbled a little bit that way in helping the actors getting into their costumes and everything. And then when I came back during the summer break to go uh, to work here in between school, it was a really busy time. And uh, I just ended up, like yourself, falling into costumes. And um, I worked my way up. I was a set person for the longest yeah. time. I was a dresser to the actors for a really long time. And I loved that. I loved doing that. I love that rapport. I like the excitement of it. Um, believe it or not, the crazy hours worked for me. Uh, it was just, I have, I actually don't even know how I ended up here. <laughs> it just happened really naturally yeah. and, and um, I was trained well, my best. You worked with directors who liked you and asked you to design their shows. Oh yeah. <laughs> any, any questions, people? Oh, I see a hand. Okay. Your favorite project that you've worked on and your most challenging pro, uh, project that you've worked on. And we'll do it kind of rapid fire. So, Christine? Oh, odd Squad. Odd Squad, obviously. obviously. On both accounts? <laughs> uh, no. No. Uh, the current show that I'm on, Endlings, uh, we just <laughs> began shooting two weeks ago. And it's been really hard to get up. And it's uh, 22 years in the future. So, and, but these... They're orphan children who live on a farm, so it was finding that aesthetic has been really challenging. And it's not a complete build show, which I'm very comfortable with building. It's a shopping as well as build, so a finding different, that A different methodology, I'm sure. Very different, yeah. Alex, favorite and most challenging? Well, it's hard to pick a favorite, just like know, it's, it's hard like to pick, pick a favorite to child. Pick your favorite child, yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, Repo the Genetic Opera was, uh, you know, just, uh, it was my baby that we'd done a presentation feature to get it made, and so the the look was all me. And the director just was very hands off, and I got to to make all my own decisions. And um, so for me, that's like a and it ended up having a life of its own as a cult film. And you know, there's a lot of people who cosplay it, and it, it's that was kind of very cool to see the fan involvement after the fact, and that that was very gratifying. Um, and the most challenging, I don't know, there's also challenging, aren't they? But maybe um, Splice, because we were shooting um, a character that was half CG, and, um, you know, again, it was shooting over the winter, and, you know, the, you know, Vincenzo uh, Natalia, our director, is, you know, very specific on the way he likes things to look, and the di director of photography was kind of the opposite, so 
there was a little bit of a struggle on white or no white. Vincenzo loves white, and the DP hated white, and so it was kind so of a, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, makes it, for that, a it was challenging, project, but yeah. you know, it was a very cool project and great cast. Leslie, we're going to end with you. Favorite and most challenging project? Uh, well, I have a couple of favorites. Probably one of them for what it did for me in my career and learning uh, was Total Recall, twenty like the twenty the reboot. Um, I'm not that old to do the original. And then uh, that was really fun, and it, I just learned so much, and uh, it was really rewarding that way. Uh, probably most challenging, the top, I have two. <laughs> uh, I would say Suicide Squad hurt my feelings, and Triple um, <laughs> uh, X, the return of Xander Cage. That was really tough. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so Thank much you. for being here, everyone. Have a great day.